Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this session. Uh, it's a session on energy transition, and we have a very esteemed panel here. Uh, we've got, uh, let me begin by introducing Min Anakin, Minister from Norway, uh, Mr. Matthias Korman from the OECD, uh, Shauna uh, from Maldives, and of course, everyone uh, from India knows Mr. Amitabh Kant. Uh, and uh, my esteemed uh, participants, welcome very much. Uh, today we are going to talk about the one of the biggest challenges that uh, the world is facing. We've all understood that the next industrial revolution cannot depend on fossil fuels. We need to have an energy transition to cleaner fuels. We need to decarbonize. And we face the question of how this transition is going to be brought about, how we'll be able to meet SDG goals for developing countries, while at the same time not allowing uh, the planet to uh, be destroyed. Uh, I'm going to cut my introduction short and uh, begin with uh, Anakin here uh, with the question of how she sees the role of Norway, which is a big oil exporter, yeah. in helping developing countries like ours uh, in this uh, transition. Over to you, Annie. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, as you said, we are an oil producer, we are an oil producing nation, and also producing a lot, a lot of gas, and we will develop, not dismantle, uh, our petroleum sector. Um, so, development also means uh, that we will be predictable. And there is a lot of uh, demand for Norwegian gas in these days, but we will use the surplus from our oil and gas industry to invest in renewables. And that's why I'm here, together with a lot of Norwegian businesses, investing heavily here in India in solar energy and also wind and uh, I visited a rooftop in the beginning of my visit to India uh, where we are um, uh, investing heavily together with an Indian company in a solar panel on the top of the university here in India. So I think as an oil producing nation we have a special obligation to help others uh, to a more renewable future. So do you see it uh, as uh, private companies? Where does the money come from? The money comes into investment or the money comes, how does the transfer of technology happen? Uh, what is the general approach you have towards how this partnership will actually uh, take place on the ground? You know, I talked to very many Norwegian businesses yesterday and they told me that the best way to work here in India was to, to work together with Indian businesses uh, experience in this market, but we also have very well-established Norwegian companies working here in India for years. Uh, so I think that joint projects together with Indian companies and also through our investments fund will, there, will be the best way to uh, work in this market. Uh, Mr. Corman, if I may uh, turn to you now. What do you see as the role of the OECD? And uh, I think in particular, one of the issues that we worry about in this uh, transition is how do countries like ours get uh, 
the money to put in the kind of investment that is required, uh, what uh, would be uh, your definition of climate finance and how do you see uh, OECD country playing a role? Well, the OECD is an organization that's committed to facilitating a better global cooperation and uh, you know, climate change is a challenge that can only be resolved and solved effectively uh, in you know, global cooperation, effective global cooperation. And it's true, uh, different uh, parts of the world uh, have different starting positions, face different circumstances, different challenges and have different opportunities to make their best um, contribution to solving the problem. But we need to bring all of that together in one overall globally coordinated and globally more coherent approach. Now, uh, investment, uh, there's, there's going to be a need for massive additional investment in order for us to be able to get uh, to net uh, zero emissions over the next several decades. Uh, we will need about $4 trillion worth of annual uh, investment in clean energy by 2030, which is about four times as much uh, as now. Um, that is not something that government, uh, that the public sector can do on its own. Uh, we need public investment, of course. Uh, climate finance and the uh, commitment by advanced economies uh, to uh, invest $100 billion US a year, which was meant to have been achieved by 2020. It wasn't, and, and that's disappointing. But based on additional commitments in the lead up to uh, COP26, we believe that it will be uh, met and exceeded from 2023 onwards. That will need to leverage significant additional private sector investment. Uh, we, um, you know, will need. Uh, public investment, uh, private investment, blended finance, when we will need to make significant efforts uh, to uh, get to that $4 trillion US in annual investment uh, by 2030. And, and we've got to make sure that across uh, private investment that um, there is better consistency and better integrity when it comes uh, to the uh, green writing of investments. And, and that is also an area within which the OECD is involved and, and generally we, we are focused on helping to uh, leverage that additional investment in clean energy uh, through cooperation, facilitating cooperation. So, uh, Sorry, I should make a final point. Quite a significant uh, decision that was announced in the lead up to uh, COP26 in Glasgow was that all of the um, official development assistance by OECD uh, development assistance committee members, so the donor countries, uh, is now fully aligned to the climate objectives in the Paris Agreement. And so in 2021, that was about $179 billion US worth of development uh, aid, which is now fully uh, aligned moving forward uh, to the objectives under the uh, Paris Agreement. So your definition of climate finance would be grants? Would it be or A, or would it be concessional loans, or would it be all of the investment that comes into, for example, you know, ESG, or or something else? Well, well, I mean, it's got to be all of the above. I mean, like there'll be there'll be grants, there'll be equity, there'll be concessional loans. I mean, all of the instruments. I mean, and there'll be there'll be. I mean, the whole gamut of um, investment opportunities ought to be ought to be uh, tapped. Uh, 30%, about 30% of the $100 billion worth of um, climate finance um, currently is uh, grants funding. Uh, but of course, there's also um, a, a lot of funding that is leveraged through the uh, multilateral development banks and so on. 
Um, I mean, all of the finance tools ought to be, um, ought to be tapped. So Shona, if I may turn to you, what do you see as the biggest challenges for uh, energy transition, uh, particularly from, from the point of view of a country like yours, which is going to be uh, so exposed, there's going to be, you know, and disaster prone. You can actually see the impact, uh, like I think in Norway you can, before anybody else, before many of us see the impact. So, what, you know, what are the challenges that you see? Is it money? Is it technology? Or, you know, what do you think are the big challenges? Thank you. And um, the Maldives is 1,200 islands. And closer. The, the Maldives is 1,200 islands, and the highest point in our islands is just about one meter. Most of our islands are just um, within uh, sea level. So any increase in sea level is an existential threat for us. Our islands are eroding at a much faster rate than we had imagined. Our islands are getting flooded every year. We are losing our country to climate change. What's the biggest um, issue when it comes to energy transition? I don't think it's a lack of finance. I also don't think it's a lack of technology. I think it's the lack of political will for countries to come together to address this issue. We are saying, we are feeling the impact of climate change in the Maldives. We witness it, we live through this every day. And this is not the story of the Maldives alone anymore. We are all, in fact, Maldivians today. We, we are disproportionately affected by it, yes, but I, I want to emphasize the reason why we are not being able to address this effectively in time is because we are not treating the climate crisis like an emergency. We are just emerging from, the global, from a global pandemic and we know when countries come together, they can develop vaccines in a matter of months. We know that finances can be uh, uh, raised. We, we raised trillions in just um, a few months. So it's not the lack of finance, it's not the lack of technology, it's a lack of political will for countries to come together to address the climate emergency. Yeah. If I may turn to you, Amitabh, uh, India uh, is hugely dependent on fossil fuels, and we have a long way to go. And, I, and it's not just the power sector, it's other sectors as well. So what do you see are the big challenges for a country like India on uh, energy transition? So, Ila, we, uh, we've done about close to 110 gigawatt of renewable energy. Uh, we are the only G20 country which was NDC compliant. Uh, we are we brought down the cost of renewable to uh, 2.7 cents per kilowatt hour, which makes it among the cheapest in the world. And uh, I think the renewable story of India is quite an amazing story, actually, and it's all been driven by the private sector entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. India. And uh, we've taken it to a point where renewable energy has actually become cheaper than coal power. Mm. And economics is now taking over. And in the next few years, you will see that we are going to use renewable energy to crack water, 
create green hydrogen. And our objective is, and it's very important to understand this, that electricity is actually only 18% of our energy. Balance 82% is hard to abate sectors like refinery, fertilizer, steel, long distance transport. And the challenge for the world is really to create energy for hard to abate sector. And that can't be done with electricity, that has to be green hydrogen. And once you use renewable to crack water, you're creating through electrolyzer green hydrogen, which will actually clean up these sectors. So our objective really is that we should be able to radically bring down the cost of green hydrogen for the world, not merely for India, but for the world, which is at about close to $3.5 per kilogram to about $2 per kilogram by 2025 and bring it down to $1 per kilogram by 2030 and make India the cheapest producer of green hydrogen for the world. That is our challenge and I entirely agree with the minister from Maldives that uh, there is no shortage of finance in the world. The shortages of very strong political will to really make a radical shift to clean energy. Uh, there's no point talking about long-term targets for 2050. It's important to do take action now and deliver now as India has delivered in the case of renewable energy. So what sort of challenges do you see, uh, for example, on green hydrogen? I mean, you've got Norway, which is happy to, uh, and other uh, countries that are happy to do partnerships. Is that uh, what we need? What is the role of uh, A, the government, B, the private sector, and C, foreign governments in this uh, transition? So uh, let's look at uh, green hydrogen economics. The cost is, gray hydrogen is today costing about $2 per kilogram. Uh, the cost of green hydrogen is $3.5 per kilogram. You need to bring it down to $2 and bring it subsequently down to $1 per kilogram. India is probably the only country in the world which has the size and scale to do it. India is the only country which is climatically blessed to do this. It's not possible to do it without cheap finance. The cost of interest in India is high. It needs finance at rates of about 2 to 3 percent. Uh, at COP21 in Paris, the developed world committed to long-term financing at low cost, which it has not lived up to, and it will be very difficult to clean up hard-to-abate sectors for the rest of the world without the developed world, which has occupied almost 78 percent of the carbon space of the world and uh, to really provide cheap finance. It's important to understand this, that when the developed world was developing, they polluted the rest of the world. They polluted their own economy. India is the only country in the world, large country in the world, which is growing with the challenge of cleaning up its economy. It is growing with the commitment that it will clean up and be resilient, will be inclusive, and will do it with cleaning up the climate. And therefore, there's a challenge of low-cost finance. Uh, Anikin, you want to step? Yeah. This uh, panel is not about the war in Ukraine. But I would like still to mention that this crisis with uh, Russia makes it painfully 
clear that we cannot be dependent on fossil fuel because that could lead to geopolitically vulnerable, vulnerable <laughs> that we are going to be more vulnerable on fossil fuels deliveries. So we need to head for a renewable future based on more local production of energy. And therefore, I also think that this has a security dimension because as policymakers, we also have to make sure that people get electricity to keep their lights on, to keep cars moving, homes heated, and um, prevent global recession. So this should be a driver um, to encourage us to invest more heavily in uh, renewables. Uh, Matthias, if may, I may turn to you. Uh, uh, while uh, the approach of uh, many investors is that, and it should be, as it should be, is that they would like to invest in green, and it's increasingly becoming, you know, not just green, but uh, beyond that also. Uh, the challenge uh, in terms of the regulatory framework, the challenge in terms of setting standards, the challenge in terms of uh, asymmetric information, if I, you know, being an economist may use that term, uh, is huge because for money to flow into, so this is apart from the grants that uh, you spoke about, that for money to flow into a country like India, uh, what are the kind of what is the kind of partnership or collaboration that uh, we could possibly do to make it easier for uh, money that wants to go into green and we as a country and businesses who want to invest uh, uh, in green to actually come together? Uh, what are the challenges you see, and what do you think can be done? Well, I mean, it's a very important point you raise. I mean, there's an increase, the volume of uh, so-called ESG investing, but one ESG investment is not necessarily uh, comparable with another. And I mean, there's a lack of uh, consistency when it comes to uh, standards even at that level. And, and so globally, uh, I mean, in, investors will want to have confidence uh, in the integrity of uh, investment vehicles that frame themselves, that brand themselves, uh, as uh, green, uh, environmentally friendly, climate friendly uh, investment vehicles. So, um, and, and in, in that space, I mean, there's absolutely a need uh, for improved standardization at a global level, for improved regulatory consistency, uh, which will help provide the certainty and the stability in the uh, investment um, uh, framework, in the investment uh, context. And that, that is a space that, you know, through the G20, uh, I mean, the OECD is helping to support India as the G20 presidency in 2023. We'll have the opportunity uh, to continue to drive uh, at, a, at, a, at a global level. And in the end, what we need is we need to scale up uh, the level of um, investment in order to help bring down uh, the cost of renewable energies uh, even further, in particular when it comes uh, to green uh, hydrogen, as, as, as what has already been mentioned. And, you know, generally, I mean, the, the International Energy Agency has uh, identified that for us to get uh, to 
and it is a transition to over several decades. You know, not, not everything can be done from one day to the next. But the International Energy Agency has identified that about 50% of the emissions reductions to get to carbon neutrality will come from technologies that are not yet fully developed, that are still in the prototype phase. So there's a significant need for um, investment also in research and development, in innovation. Um, and we, there should be a, a stronger focus on sharing information, sharing data, sharing uh, best practices, uh, giving, access, giving access to each other, I mean, having faster technology uh, transfers, giving access to information globally to ensure all parts of the world to really put their best foot forward. But in terms of investment, the point that you raise is 100% right. There is an urgent need for improved um, global standards when it comes uh, to private sector investment uh, in um, climate-friendly investment vehicles. Uh, so, Amitabh. Uh. <coughs> See, the important uh, challenges, to my mind, that the future of uh, decarbonization <coughs> lies in green hydrogen. And uh, the green, green hydrogen is still expensive. The world is living in green, gray hydrogen, which is uh, based on fossilized fuel. So how do you make green hydrogen cheaper is important. Now, in green hydrogen, the cost of renewable is 70% of the cost. 10% of the cost is the cost of electrolyzer. 20% is the balance of plant cost. So as was rightly mentioned, the cost of renewable, which, it, which is about roughly in, and India is amongst the lowest producer, lowest cost of renewable producer, it's about 2.7 cents per kilowatt hour. It must actually come down to one cent per kilowatt hour. That's the challenge. And this can come only with size and scale, with breakthrough in technology, with quantum jumping of new technologies which are now emerging, tandem and many other technologies which are emerging. So I think in the next uh, two to three years, you'll see cutting edge technology coming in, in renewables which will uh, make the cost of uh, solar energy fall radically. That will make the cost of uh, green hydrogen fall very substantially. And that will enable the world to decarbonize uh, refineries, uh, uh, really decarbonize fertilizer, decarbonize long distance transport. I don't think the long term solution to the world lies in batteries. That's okay for two wheelers and three wheelers and four wheelers. but. It's very important to look at the most, more difficult sectors which can't be cleaned up uh, with this. Also, the world in, uh, cannot be dependent on lithium, cobalt, and nickel, which are very difficult. Uh, firstly, they are very, they're based on one country, resource managed. Resources in the world are being managed by one country. And secondly, they will create their own uh, complexity in terms of uh, making a cleaner world for the future. So really, uh, the, ch the challenge is how do we drive uh, the world towards uh, green hydrogen, that is really the key challenge before the world. And that that would require the cost of renewables to fall radically. And in terms of the institutional arrangements, regulatory frameworks, or the uh, move towards uh, you know going from voluntary to mandatory uh, norms, what sort of a partnership do you uh, envisage with the private sector uh, or 
in India, for example. So Indian entrepreneurship is truly top class. You know, I've seen this in renewable. Uh, some of these newer companies which have come up, Renew or uh, Greenco or Acme, they, they are the ones who've really driven the story of uh, renewable revolution in India. And no country in the world has been able to achieve 110 gigawatt. It's all been driven by the private sector in India. And they are the ones who are making the breakthroughs in uh, green hydrogen. Now, what you would require, because India is a very large consumer of gray hydrogen, it already consumes about 10% of the world's gray hydrogen in its refinery. So in the initial period, uh, the government will have to seriously think of mandating the use of gray, green hydrogen. I mean, I remember when solar started off in India, the prices were 21 rupees in Gujarat. The present prime minister pushed it in Gujarat and now it has come down to 2 rupees. From 21 rupees to 2 rupees has been the paradigm shift. And the same story will repeat itself in green, in green hydrogen, where the prices will come down from $3.5 per kilogram to $1 per kilogram market. And this will happen simply because of the size and scale of India. No other country has the possibility, no other country has the climatic condition, no other country has the size and scale of India, no other country will have this kind of top class entrepreneurship which India has. And therefore, India will take the lead and make itself the capital of green hydrogen for the world. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Amitabh. So, thank you very much. And on that note, uh, let's give the panel uh, good applause. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.